0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. If you listen right now in this room, what do you hear? Besides a crying child, it's probably mine. You don't hear a lot else. You don't hear this morning a mighty rushing wind. You don't hear the Holy Spirit. If you look around, you will see no tongues of fire on anyone's heads. If it looks like there's something, it might just be hair sticking up. It's not fire. So You don't see symbols of the Holy Spirit in that sort of active way. But the Holy Spirit is as much here in this room as he was 2,000 years ago. probably shouldn't joke about the tongues of fire like that. Forgive me. But the Holy Spirit is as much here in this room as he was 2,000 years ago. Just because the outward symbols aren't here, doesn't mean that he's not here. Remember, says Charles Spurgeon, that whatever the Holy Spirit was at the first, that he is now. For as God, he remaineth forever the same. Whatsoever he then, referring to Pentecost, did... He is able to do still, for His power is by no means diminished. Although we may not expect and need not desire the miracles which came with the gift of the Holy Spirit, Spurgeon, like us, is cessationist in that way, we'll talk about that later, so far as they were physical, yet we may both desire and expect that which was intended and symbolized by them, and we may reckon to see the like spiritual wonders performed among us at this day." In other words, we're not allowed to read the Pentecost account that we looked at last week and say, that was then, this is now. Even if there are, like Spurgeon says, some outward external differences in how the Spirit manifests Himself, He is the same, and everything Spurgeon says that even those outward physical things represent it, those are all the same. They've not changed at all. The diminishment of some of the external miracles is not evidence that the Holy Spirit is less among us today than He was in the early church. None of us, we have a lot of children here, and you know, us millennials like to give unique names to our children. Sorry, it's just what we do. You're like, what is their name? It's just what we do. Let us do our thing. That's what we do. But may no one here name their child Ichabod. The glory has departed For the Spirit of glory has not departed from His church. It's not true. He's still here just like He was in the early church. In fact, in the Old Testament, the word used for spirit is ruach, and it's the exact same word that's used for wind. There's not two words for that in Hebrew. There's just the one word, and that's fitting because the Holy Spirit is not actually wind, but there is a comparison to be made between the work of the Spirit and His presence with us and the wind. Jesus himself made that comparison. You remember when he said, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. The reason for that is because the wind is invisible. You can't watch it unless you have some specialized instrument to see where it's coming from and where it's going. And yet you believe in the wind because of the effects of the wind. You see what the wind is doing. There's a comparison there with the Spirit's work among us. It's easy for us to forget about Him because we don't see Him directly, nor are there always these clear external signs like at Pentecost the tongues of fire and the sound of the rushing wind, but His effects are all still present. The most important of the effects of the Holy Spirit are still present with us and have not diminished from the time of the early church. If anything, there's been an increase of them. say, well, what are the effects of the Holy Spirit in the world? My argument in this class today is that everything God is doing in your life, He is doing by the Holy Spirit. Because the first role of the Spirit that we'll be considering is this, the Holy Spirit mediates the presence of God in your life. So if God is doing something in your life, the Spirit Is doing that in your life. I'm borrowing both this idea, I'm also borrowing the layout for the next several classes, these six roles of the Holy Spirit, from a biblical scholar you may have heard of known as Andreas Kosenberger. He, after writing a book, it's part of a book that he wrote, where he basically surveys everything the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, I mean everything, (laughs) and then at the end of that he summarizes under six headings what seem to be the main roles or works of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says, quote, the Spirit, one, mediates God's presence, the lesson today, and in doing so, two, imparts life, three, reveals truth, four, fosters holiness, five, supplies power, and six, affects unity. Presence, life, truth, holiness, power, unity. Those are the six main activities of the Holy Spirit. And those, in a sense, summarize all the work of God in your life. All of it are under those six headings. The point of this lesson is that when we think of God's work in our life, we ought to think God is working in our life by the Holy Spirit. Now, you may already think, there's some similarity to this class and the one we did on the fact that the Holy Spirit is God, and you have the Holy Spirit in you, so God is in you. That's true. There's some overlap between these classes, but the difference is that in that class, my emphasis really was that the Holy Spirit is God, His being. But what I want to emphasize in this lesson is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, that everything God does in your life, He does by the Holy Spirit, And that's how you should think of God's work in your life. So all of those six things that we'll talk about, that's all God's work in your life. And it's all the Spirit's work in your life. So when Jesus was here on earth, we thought of Him as Emmanuel, God with us. But there is a sense in which that title now properly belongs to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is God with us in this age of the Spirit. And we should think that way. So, to make this argument, as I've done in previous classes, I want to begin by just showing it to you from the Bible, so you know I'm not making it up. So, we're going to begin with the biblical evidence. How do we know the Spirit mediates God's presence in our lives? And then the second thing that we're going to do after that is we're going to make a couple of applications. So, let's begin with the biblical evidence here, and you can turn in your Bible to John chapter 14. This is where we'll derive our clearest passage, John 14. We'll be looking at verses 16 and 17. If it's any interest to you to know, if you're looking for some of the most concentrated teachings on the Holy Spirit in the Bible, John 14 and John 16 are two of the most important chapters in the Bible on the Holy Spirit. So here's John 14. Verses 16 and 17, Jesus says to his disciples, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. We're touching on mysteries, as we often do in this class, but the reason we're touching on them is because there is a certain way that Scripture wants you to think, and it's our job as Christians, born in the time that we're born, born in the family that you're born in, you don't have a choice in those things, you're born in your family, you're born in your country, your culture, you're born in this period of time, and there are certain ways that you by default think because of that. And your whole life as a Christian is devoted to the task of displacing that with Scripture. <laughs> the way the Bible looks at the world and life and your life. There is a way that the Bible looks at the Spirit's work in your life that you don't naturally think. The Bible thinks that way about it, and you and I don't. Hence a lesson like this, where we're trying to align our thinking with the way the Bible thinks about The Holy Spirit in your life. So if you look at this verse, how is the Bible thinking of the Holy Spirit? Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. We've already talked about how both the Son and the Holy Spirit are God, just like the Father, three in one. And yet, we can talk about distinction between the persons, and that's what Jesus is doing here. That's why you get into some of this theology of the Trinity, you go, this is so confusing. But if you don't have it, what do you do with this verse? Because Jesus says, another helper. who's the first helper? Jesus. And he says, I'm leaving, and I'm going to send you another helper. You can see how Jesus wants the disciples to think of it like this. Jesus going to heaven, sending the Spirit to be with them. Now, in a very technical sense, Jesus will still be with them. Because His last promise in Matthew 28 before He ascended is, I will be with you always. And of course, we know the Father's with us when we pray Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. We're praying that to the Father. So the Father's with us. The Son is with us, and yet if we want to think the way that Scripture thinks right here, Jesus tells His disciples, of course He knows that's true, but He tells them, this is the way for you to think about it. I'm going, and another, not me, but another helper will come and be with you forever. The Holy Spirit says he'll be with you forever. He'll dwell with you in verse 17. He'll be in you. That's how you think of the Holy Spirit. Now again, with that in mind, even if you skim in this passage down to verse 23, it's kind of remarkable. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, the Father and the Son, will come to him and make our home with him. I thought the Holy Spirit was coming to do that, (laughs) and yet he can also say, the Father and the Son, we will make our home with you, but I'm leaving, and another Helper will come, and he'll be with you forever, but also, the Father and I will make our home with you. So what is going on here? (laughs) This is... is, uh... (laughs) Deb is making the point that it's a whole entire Godhead present. You can't have one without the other. And we can't even begin to wrap our minds around that. And that is absolutely true. And if we're trying to think like Scripture in this passage, it's right for us to think the Father's with us. He made His home with us. It's right for us to think the Son is with us. It's right for us to think the Spirit is with us. And yet, the way that Jesus is presenting this is there's a sort of priority given to the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is seen as mediating the presence of the Father and the Son. There is a unique sense in which the Spirit's with us. But because the Spirit's with us, so is the Father and the Son. That's what we mean when we say the Spirit mediates the presence of the Father and the Son, the presence of God as a complete God to us. Jesus, of course, like I said, said, I will be with you always. We pray to the Father, that He'll be with us in the valley of the shadow of death. But which has priority in the way Scripture thinks? There is a priority given to the Holy Spirit. This is the way the Bible thinks. Where is, right now, where is God the Father? Because He's omnipresent, He's here. But very often when you're reading the New Testament and the Old, the Father is presented as up in heaven. My little daughter. Felicity, who's two years old, and you, you know, you brainstorm, how do we talk about God? She knows ten words. (laughs) So how do we talk about God? And that's the only thing we really talk about God at this point, is I say, Felicity, where's God? And she says, up. (laughs) Good. That's our catechism thus far for Felicity. And that is right. That's the way the Bible presents God, specifically God the Father, He dwells in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray our Father on earth. No. Our Father in heaven? Does that mean He's not on earth? Of course He's on earth, and yet this is the way the Bible thinks. It's the way we should think. The Father is in heaven. He's there in a special, unique way. Now, Jesus came to earth, the Son of God, dwelt here among us, then ascended. How does the Bible think typically about Jesus? Of course, He's with us always, When Paul stood trial in 2 Timothy, he says, the Lord stood with me, referring to Jesus. He's with us in trial. He is with us. Not a denial of that. And yet the New Testament very clearly emphasizes where is the Son right now in this age? The right hand of the Father in heaven. That's where Stephen sees him. He's above all thrones and rulers and dominions and principalities. He's at the Father's right hand. It doesn't mean he's not here, but it means he's there uniquely, and it's the way the Bible thinks of the Father and the Son, that they are enthroned in heaven above all. But if we say, how does the New Testament think in this age, how does the New Testament think about where the Spirit is? Do we think of the Spirit in heaven? No, he's there. He's there, no doubt. But the way the Bible wants you to think of the Spirit is there's the Father and the Son, here's the Spirit. Here's the Spirit. The Spirit is the one uniquely here to mediate the presence of the Father and the Son. He mediates the presence of God. You might think again that this is like splitting hairs, but let me give you another passage because again, I... Some of these things can be difficult to grasp, but if you don't at least try to grasp them, it gets really hard to read the Bible. (laughs) That's the point. We're just trying to read the Bible. Let me give you a passage. As I read this, we're in Romans 8 now. Romans 8, verses 9 through 11. And as I read verses 9 through 11, the question I want you to be thinking about is, who dwells in you if you're a Christian? Who dwells in you? Who dwells in you? So here's Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Isn't that an amazing passage? That's an amazing passage. I love this passage. But when we ask the question, who dwells in you, according to the way the Bible is thinking in this passage, you see the interchangeable use, we've talked about this, but the interchangeable use of words here. It's the Spirit of God. Oh, we got it. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Of course, the Spirit of God. He's within you. And then in the next line, without any explanation, Paul says, Yeah, of course, the Spirit of Christ. If the Spirit of God's in you, you have the Spirit of Christ. I thought this was the Spirit of God. This is the Spirit. Uh, Christ is God. Okay, the Spirit of Christ. Oh, Christ is in you. Wait a minute. <laughs> We're talking about the Spirit. We are back to the Spirit. The Spirit of Him who raised Christ is in you. His Spirit. How are you going to make sense of that passage? Of course. You can make sense of it because we know that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God. And yet, even in this passage, the emphasis in this passage does not fall on the Father or the Son. The emphasis here is on the Spirit. He starts by talking about the Spirit of God. And then, of course, there's that change where he's just talking about Christ. But then he comes right back to the Spirit of Him who raised Him. It's His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. There is an emphasis here where if you just flatten that out and say, it's the Holy Spirit, He is God, and it's the same every time, there's no distinction whatsoever, then you lose something He's saying here. He wants you to think of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you, but that is also to think of the Father and Son dwelling inside you because the Holy Spirit, who's uniquely here, mediates the presence of the Father and the Son. He mediates the presence of of the Godhead to us. These terms can be interchanged, but he specifically is focusing on and speaking of the Spirit because that's how the Bible thinks, and it's how the Bible wants you to think. When you're thinking of God with you right now, you're thinking first of the Spirit, and because of that, the Father and the Son, because He mediates their presence. Now, these are hard ideas, I understand that, but you have to bear them in mind while reading Scripture, that's the point. So let me, maybe to make this more practical if we can, let me now give you just various passages from Scripture and work through all of the works or roles of the Holy Spirit that we're going to see in the next weeks in this class. Let me work through them and show you from Scripture that these, which contain all God's work in your life, are all done... You're supposed to think of it, according to Scripture, they're all done by the Holy Spirit specifically, Okay. So whatever work God does in you, He does, you're supposed to think this way, He does by His Holy Spirit who's uniquely with us. So let's take, for example, the application of salvation. The Holy Spirit takes what Christ did and applies it. He's the one who causes us to be born again. He saves us. He gives us life. Remember, that's one of those. By His presence, because He mediates God's presence, first, He gives us life. That'll be next week. He gives us life. That's something God does in us. We're dead in our sins, and God raised us up, made us alive, Ephesians 2. So God gives you life. How should you think about it? Here's John 6, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. Here's 2 Corinthians 3.6. The Spirit gives life. You are supposed to think of God's work of saving you and others as specifically it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Does God do it? Yes. Can we be more specific? The Holy Spirit does it. It's done by the Holy Spirit. Even think of life in the sense of your future resurrection God is going to raise you. When you die, that's your hope. God will raise you up again. He will give you life, even physically. Well, didn't you see in our passage we just read, it spoke of he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see how the Bible is thinking of the spirit in all these activities. We don't always think of the Spirit, but that's why we have this lesson. The Bible thinks of the Spirit. Your future resurrection is done through God's Spirit. Moving on, the Spirit will see also as the one who opens our eyes to truth. Life, truth. Has the Holy Spirit, I should say this, has God opened the eyes of your heart so that you see the glory of Christ? When you read the Scriptures, when you meditate on Him, has He opened your eyes to see the beauty of Christ? Yes? That was a work of God. Can we be more specific? Scripture can. We saw it in 1 John. The anointing that you received from Him, and that's referring to the Holy Spirit, abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. The Spirit guides us, teaches us, leads us. Is God growing you in holiness? Yes, by the Spirit of holiness. Ezekiel 36, 27, looking forward, promised this about our time. God says, I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God will do it by His Spirit, because His Spirit mediates His presence and that's why He's doing that in our life. Are you given inward power to believe, to have boldness to live for God, an inward power by God? Does He give that to you? Yes. Can we be more specific? It's by His Spirit. Here's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. You don't get power apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your inner being. And finally here, unity will be the last class we have. Does God work unity among us? Yes. But here's what Scripture says. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Name something that God does actively and regularly in your life as a Christian that's not done by the Holy Spirit. All of God's work in your life, you are, this is the way the Bible thinks, you are to think of as happening specifically by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So that's the biblical background. It's a harder lesson, but I hope you can see that. Again, it's in the Bible. I gave you the verses. There it is. You have to do something with it. If you think I'm wrong, do something else with it. You have to do something with these verses. And I think the best explanation is that we are to think of the Holy Spirit as mediating God's presence. There's a priority given to the Spirit in every work that's happening in our lives. So let's make a few applications of this. Why does it matter that you even think about this this morning, thinking, I just got out of bed. I haven't had enough coffee. Why are we thinking about this right now? Let me give you some applications. I have two of them. Here's the first one. The reason it's important for you to believe that the Holy Spirit mediates God's presence in your life is because only if you're convinced of that will you do what I like to call practicing the presence of the Spirit. This is not some charismatic, mystical type of a thing. Let me explain what I mean here. You probably know I'm borrowing this idea from a little booklet put out by a monk, actually, named Brother Lawrence long, long ago. And many of you have profited from that little booklet. We, of course, don't agree with everything with Brother Lawrence. He was Catholic. However, that little booklet, I love it. It's great. He talked about practicing the presence of God, which simply meant not just believing theologically that there's a God who's with you, but living your life as if He's with you all the time, constant communion with Him, constant conversation. And Brother Lawrence would be there at the sink or whatever he used doing the dishes for the monks, and he said, I didn't want to do one dish apart from love for God, conscious awareness of God and love for Him. So there is a practice... It's an activity practicing the presence of God that we all ought to strive for. But if I can borrow that phrase, I think it's also fitting to say that we as Christians will not reach the full potential of what we can be and do for Christ if we are not practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us every work God does in our life is done through the Holy Spirit And all the passages I just read for you that say God does this in your life by the Spirit, through the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, they're not just given for your entertainment. They're given to shape how you think. Because the Bible wants you consciously to think when you're looking for God to do something in your life that this is a work that the Holy Spirit must do in my life. It turns our attention to the Holy Spirit. I was thinking of this because one of the books I was reading not too long ago, On the Holy Spirit, the author, I felt, exemplified this even as he was writing his book. Okay, this is a professor of systematic theology, and here's what he wrote. He said, he said, if one believes the biblical testimony, which I do, then when I write about the Holy Spirit, surely I ought to be in the Spirit. Moreover, as I write, I'm actually in the Spirit's own unseen presence, who may be grieved by what I say and do with the written page. Indeed, in human experience, there's something odd, in fact, impolite about talking to a third party about someone else in that person's very presence and never directly addressing the person under discussion, even though he or she is there, likewise with the Spirit, sobering. (laughs) Here is an author writing theological truth about the Holy Spirit, but can you see that he does something different when he practices the presence of the Spirit because he recognizes if God's going to use what I'm writing, then he's going to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is here, and I don't want to grieve him (laughs) that example in writing, you may not be a writer, but that example extended out to every part of your life. That's an application of this fact. Doing what you do, but with an active consciousness of the Holy Spirit. Think of it like this, for example. You have a sin habit in your life. Let's just make one up, and let's say that you have a short fuse. You grew up this way, your dad exploded, and you explode. So, You have a short fuse, and you've come to Christ, and it's changing, but boy, it's so slow. And your kids drive you crazy, and you say things, and you wish afterward, why did I say that? I wish I could take that back. You say, next time I'm not going to, and the next time you do it again. So this is something you've seen so little victory in your life. It's leading you almost to despair, because I'm not growing. And you can take whatever sin it is. I'm not growing, and you've tried everything. You've tried all the methods You know, you've gone online, you've Googled it, you've just tried everything that there is to try. You've even turned to secular solutions, just breathing exercises and count to four. And it's not working for you. And you're at the verge of giving up because you're just not going to grow in this. Now there may be a variety of reasons why you're not seeing victory in that area. But may I suggest that possibly one of them is that you're not practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit in that fight. In other words, you're trying to overcome that sin by all the weapons of the flesh, by every method, every exertion, bootstrapology, you're pulling yourself up, you're doing everything you can, gritting, accountability, good things. You're doing everything you can and you're failing and you haven't even yet really thought about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> if you haven't yet even really thought about the Holy Spirit, there's probably a reason you're not seeing any success. The Old Testament, Zechariah the prophet said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And you have to think of your fight against sin in the same way. You're not going to make progress if you're not thinking by the spirit. We'll see in Galatians where Paul says, having begun by the spirit, are you being perfected in the flesh? No. But often we live that way because we forget of the spirit. Or if we think of him, it's just as data or a Bible verse we once memorized. But it's not as if we're practicing his presence with us to kill our sin. Paul says in Romans, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you live. So I'd encourage you to begin practicing His presence, which can include things like praying to the Holy Spirit in times of temptation, calling to mind true things about the Spirit, but with faith, believing that they are so. Not relying upon the flesh, living as though He really were with you. And this leads us then to our second and really our final application in this class. And it has to do with this. It's important for you to believe that the Holy Spirit mediates God's presence to you because if you do, it keeps you from despair. If we believe the Spirit who dwells in us conveys the presence of God Almighty to us, we will not despair. So just think of what it is in your life that leads you most toward despairing, whether it's fighting sin like I talked about. It could be that you think of fellowship that way. You think, wow, local churches are so fragile. Maybe you've been through hard local church experiences or just on a smaller level in your small group or with some Christians, you thought it was going to be a great relationship and it's soured. So you move on, great relationship and it's soured. Someone, great relationship, they move away and you're thinking, I give up. I give up. You're on the verge of despair. You think, we're supposed to be a family, but it doesn't exactly feel like a family. So you may be on the verge of despair when it comes to this is unity as believers. Well, there's a lot of disunity because there's a lot of flesh among us. But we don't have to despair because there's not just flesh among us. Is anyone else besides just humans with their flesh working among us specifically to produce unity? How about God? (laughs) How about specifically the Holy Spirit, the unity of the Spirit? Now if you really believe that the Holy Spirit mediates God's presence, that the Holy Spirit is right there within you, and that He is focused on producing unity among us in this room, all of us, not just the ones of us who get along, but all of us, and that is His task to promote a unity. If you believe he mediates God's presence to do that in your life, you're practicing his presence, there he is. I believe he can do that. There is hope no matter how difficult the relationship. If people as different as Paul and Peter can give each other the right hand of fellowship and work together, you and I can work together. You and I can resolve conflict. And we might have conflicts that stretch back a long time and there's all this baggage and it gets complicated and most people handle that by just running for the doors and let's try this again at a different church. You don't have to do that. Say, well, you don't understand. I mean, there's so much behind, so much water under the bridge. That's fine. That's fine. It doesn't matter. Remember that time where God stopped the waters that were going down so His people could go across? Remember that? If really God is there and He's actively working to promote unity, unity can happen. Euodia and Syntyche can get along. Believers can get along more than we can ask or imagine that's what God can do. Jew and Gentile can get along. Divisions in the church could be centuries old. Doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit can do those things. But you're not you're going to despair about them unless you're convinced, unless you're practicing the spirit's presence. You look at let's take one more example. You look at areas where good Christians disagree theologically. And you might be on the verge of despairing that you can ever know the truth about a lot of things. Because you look at some brilliant people who believe that we ought to baptize infants, and then you've got these other brilliant godly people who are quite set against it, ourselves included. Not brilliant and godly, but we're against it, and you, and you might think, I don't have the time to quit my job and go write a PhD dissertation about every verse in the Bible that talks about this to figure it out. I mean, that's a godly, smart guy. There's a godly, smart guy. And you might be on the verge of despair and there are a lot of issues where Christians disagree on secondary matters and you just think, maybe I just can't know what's true. Maybe I just have to kind of go with something. I mean, I can't really figure it out just from reading my Bible, true. But the Holy Spirit is active in you to lead you to the truth. That's one of his roles. He's not just active in seminaries with brilliant genius folk helping them know the truth. The Spirit is active among every single believer in this room to help you as you read the Bible with humility. Look at good commentaries, but as you're reading the Bible with humility, the Spirit is acting to help you come to a knowledge of the truth. That is why when you look at church history, you will find people who were willing with confidence to die for truths found in a Bible they couldn't even read. Illiterate people. It wasn't because of brilliance and they were able to grasp all the concepts. It was because of the Spirit using the knowledge they had, leading them to the truth. It's the same thing He does with us. If you believe that the Spirit is mediating God's own presence... Then a confidence and active acknowledgement of the Spirit keeps you from despairing in all of these areas, which is why we talk about it. If you're despairing, it's because you're not practicing the Spirit's presence. And I would encourage you to make that a habit, make that a practice in your life. When you feel most discouraged, it's January and see all the clouds, you're not getting much vitamin D. When you're feeling so discouraged, especially late at night, and you're beginning to despair, whether it's about yourself or this or that, I would encourage you to make it a habit to turn to the Holy Spirit, acknowledge Him, acknowledge that He's there with you. When you are struggling, He's a helper or a comforter. Whatever you're on the verge of despairing about, practicing His presence prevents it. So, everything else we're going to talk about in the rest of this class in the next several weeks It all starts right here. This is the primary role of the Spirit. He mediates God's presence. And in doing so, does all the other five things that we'll talk about. So may He help us to acknowledge that, to believe that, and to practice His presence.